Hello, welcome to another episode of the American Printing Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Swick, and as you've heard, uh, the ABA is in the middle of our big nesting season appeal. We're trying to raise money for our young birder programs, namely the, the ABA camps, which continue to grow in ambition and in interest from birders every year, and the ABA's Young Birder of the Year contest, which we host every year. Um, so the episode is all about young birders and ways that we can support them. This is a this is a topic that is very close to my own heart, as I was a young birder way back in the day, and I benefited even back then from the ABA's strong dedication to giving young birders opportunities to grow and to experience incredible things. I am I am trying hard not to use the term "spread their wings" or "take under one's wing" here, but there, there's a reason those cliches get thrown around here. Uh, there are a lot of easy metaphors to make on this subject, and they are all certainly appropriate. Uh, I am constantly surprised when I run into birders of my generation, which is sort of in that gray area overlapping between the Generation X and the Millennials, how many of us took advantage of these young birder programs, uh, which were just getting started 25, 30 years ago, and, and how many of us were beneficiaries of scholarships and sponsorships from the ABA to do that. Uh, this is particularly true of those who I'd consider, you know, leaders in the community. By that I mean people who have gone on to make birds a, a career in some fashion, be it through being a a tour guide or an academic or a um, or a writer or an artist or any of those things that you can. I mean, the birds kind of kind of find their way into a lot of different career. Um, I, I have my own story here in uh, 1994. Four, I attended Camp Chiricahua, which was and still is a young birder camp in southeast Arizona run by Victor Emanuel Nature Tours. Uh, it, it was, as you, as you probably expect, a, a real watershed moment for me uh, as a birder and, and certainly as someone realizing that there are, there are other people out there who, who liked birds the way that I liked birds. The ABA helped me pay for it, along with my local and state bird clubs, otherwise I don't know that I would have been able to go. Um, and I still remember the day when I got that call about the scholarship. Um, it was one of those those spring mornings, those spring days that are they're a little bit wet and just really, really birdy. Um, I'd come home from school and, and grab my binoculars and, and headed out through the woods behind our house. I was checking out this, this cattle wallow for shorebirds and Pretty sure, if I remember right, there was a there was a solitary sandpiper hanging out there. Uh, when I heard my my dad calling for me, so I ran back up to the house and he handed a phone to me. This is back when you know phones were stuck on the side of a wall. Um, it was it was Judy Toops who um, who birders, especially in Mississippi, might recognize that name. Um, I didn't know her at the time, but she had this this voice. Um, Pete Dunn describes it in in the Feather Quest as making a, a drill sergeant jealous, and it's absolutely true. It's just kind of low and, and gravelly and really distinctive. Um, she asked me what I'd seen. She told me that the the ABA had given me a scholarship to help me go to this camp, and and the rest, I guess, is sort of history. Um, birds have been sort of the singular thread running through my life ever since, and I feel really fortunate to be. That I get to be in that world, and, and thankful to the ABA for for helping me do it, even even this many years, decades later. Um, so anyway, that's sort of the theme today. Um, I've got a quick wrap up of my spring at the end, uh, but first you'll hear from some young birders who are involved in the ABA's contest and the ABA's camps. I hope they will inspire you to support the nesting season appeal, or even just the young birder you know in your local club uh, who is just getting started. And that is all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the first part of June. Migration is mostly over across most of the continent, but the last two weeks were exceptional ones for vagrants. A mix of spring overshoots and post-breeding dispersal and pretty much every reason that birds are inclined to move around. 
We'll start in western Alaska, specifically Gamble on St. Lawrence Island, which hosted a pair of great birds, one Paula's bunting and two common chiffchaffs, both ABA code fives, which is the rarest category if you're not familiar with the ABA code system, are both probably the best birds of the spring for that outpost. We also finally got reports of the late May trip to Attu at the end of the Aleutians, and birders had some good ones there this year, including both gray streaked and taiga flycatchers common rosefinch and Eurasian hobby. And lest we forget the Pribilofs, a long-staying and well-showing marsh sandpiper was a highlight for St. Paul this spring. Pelagics out of Hatteras, North Carolina, often produce this time of year, and the ABA's fifth record of Swinhoe's storm petrel uh, this past week is no exception. This species nests primarily on islands in the Sea of Japan, so its presence in the North Atlantic is really crazy. Individual Swinhoe's storm petrels have been trapped on Madeira Island in the Northeast Atlantic, so maybe there's a previously overlooked breeding population in the Atlantic Ocean. In any case, there cannot be too many out there. In Florida, the ABA's ninth record of brown-chested marten was discovered east of Orlando this week. Uh, the bird stuck around for maybe the next day, though it's it's hard to tell if you really want to test the limits of observer expectation bias. You can't do better than a vagrant swallow. Uh, between desire to find the bird and difficulty of getting a good observation, not to mention the near impossibility of getting a good flight photo, uh, it was difficult to discern the real reports from the would-be reports. In any case, the original photos look good for this wide-ranging Austral migrant. And there were a bunch of first records to report, so we'll just kind of zip through those as best we can. Uh, Quebec had a first provincial record of painted red start near Quebec City. Georgia had a first blue-throated hummingbird in the northern part of the state. Alberta got its first sagebrush sparrow. Uh, the bounty of far eastern curlew in Alaska this spring saw one overshoot and end up in Yukon Territory for a territorial first and only the second for Canada. Michigan had its first shiny cowbird at Whitefish Point because where else would it first for Michigan show up. Shawnee Calbert, incidentally, the next big thing in the ABA area since at least 1975. New Hampshire had its long-awaited first brown booby this week, and New Mexico's first record of whitetail hawk was found on a breeding bird survey in the north of the state. If you could believe it, that was only a small part of the recent rarity landscape, and I didn't even get to the tropical mockingbird in Florida with Providence that will be tough to figure it out, or the big movement of fork-tailed flycatchers throughout the ABA area in the last couple weeks. For all that, you'll have to check out the ABA blog, blog.aba.org, every Friday morning, and for detailed information and discussion on all rarities in the ABA area, go to the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare. The ABA has long made developing young birders an organizational priority through offering opportunities to expand their skills, communicate with leaders in the world of birding, and providing places for them to come together to build their own communities. We've done this through our Young Birder of the Year competition, which we've held for years, and more recently in a series of birding camps in Colorado and Delaware. In this episode, you'll hear from a few of those young birders, participants both in the Young Birder of the Year competition and the Young Birder camps run by ABA and others, about what it means to them to have these opportunities and what the rest of the birding community can do to support them. Thanks to Bailey Eichhorn, Cayenne Sweeney, Diego Blanco, and Johanna Beam for chatting with me over the last couple weeks. I hope you find their thoughts as heartening as I did. Hi, my name is Cayenne Sweeney. I'm 14 years old and I'm from Camarillo, California. My brother used to be into birding. He's two years older than me, and he was totally into it. Our neighbors were birders, too, and I was the little sister, so I didn't do what Big Brother did. 
he had a bunch of old books and then he kind of stopped really getting into that and he did other things and so we moved down here to socal and he still had all his old books so we were unpacking one day and i found his old birding guides and then that's kind of how i got into it i started reading through them and i was like hey okay birds yeah that's pretty awesome i'm bailey eichhorn i'm 13 years old and i'm from lexington south carolina so when i was four i want to say it was a I was in my backyard and I was just, I don't know what made me notice this, but I was just in my backyard and I saw this cardinal, Northern Cardinal, and I was just fascinated by all it was doing. So I'm Johanna Beam. I am 19 years old and I am from a little town in Colorado called Pinewood Springs, which is between Estes Park and Lyons. I was at my grandparents' house and they had some feeders set up. And I just like looked at their feeders and was like, this is interesting. Like, I don't know. I've never seen these birds before. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I should learn the difference between a downy woodpecker and a hairy woodpecker. And, and I was like curious why there was only downy woodpeckers at my grandparents' feeder, feeders and there was no hairy woodpeckers there. And just like spurred this like drive to learn more about it. So my name is Diego Blanco. I'm 16 years old. I'm from Altadena, California. One of, one of the main things that I can kind of remember as being sort of the, the spark moment was this one time when I, I went to a local bookstore and there was uh, an audio field guide, uh, Birds of North America, Backyard Birds of North America. Um, and it had, you know, it had information about all the birds and um, it would have a number for each one. And then there was a speaker attached that you'd put in the number and then play the, play the sound and it would play the bird song or the call. And from there I was hooked. I just went out and I tried to you know, identify everything I could hear outside. And, and, and then I just thought it was so interesting how you could identify birds just based off of what they were, what they sounded like. And then basically that from there, I mean, it was so, so quick that from that, my interest in that became my interest in everything else. You know, I've always um, been really interested and really passionate about art too. So I have been drawing birds for as long as I've been uh, into birding. The Young Birder of the Year competition tasks young birders with participating in several modules, each one focusing on a different birding skill, some more difficult than others. Here's Johanna. I think illustration was my favorite. It was always hard because I was trying to do like pure illustration, like what you would see in a field guide. So it was like just just the bird. There's no background. You know, there's no like uh, habitat elements or anything. And they're always like, no, you need to put a background in. You need to put like a branch for the, for the feet. Or sometimes I like, I wouldn't even put feet on my birds. So like all those things that they were giving me advice on and like telling me to improve upon was, was always very useful because like, if I wanted to try to be an illustrator or do some kind of field illustrations when I grow up, quote unquote, that kind of experience and advice from professionals was just incredible. The judges for each module are made up of leaders in the birding community, volunteering their time and expertise to help each participant with personalized notes on how they can improve. Here's Cayenne on what that means. Sophie Webb, actually, she was one of the module judges for art, and her input, her feedback, it, it was amazing. Actually, I was listening to the podcast interview with her. She was talking about how she's one of the judges, and then I, it really hit me, like, oh, wow, Sophie Webb, okay. And I looked again, actually drew, like, little diagrams of how I should, how to better my drawings, my sketches, my field sketches. And it was amazing because, I mean, you 
you have these judges and then you hear about them and you look them up and you're like, okay, wow. Young birders are also asked to give back with the Conservation and Community module. Bailey Eichhorn's module was featured in the latest issue of Birders Guide, the Conservation and Community issue. He tutored a group of second graders at a local elementary school in basic birding biology and how to identify local birds. That sort of mentorship is one that a lot of young birders look back on as hugely influential in their own development. The experience and seeing the excitement as they like grew as birders, because these are people coming from an environment where they're not used to birding. I mean, they're they're in these suburban neighborhoods, and it's really nice to see them just grow and enjoy birding. And I just, I saw these people, these kids, and I saw them, they're really sharing my own experiences. Here's Cayenne Sweeney. Having some people to really look up to and that really support you. I met some amazing people through even ABA and WFO, and they were like my, they're my mentors still. And I think having people who are there to support you and that are open and really um, teach you a lot and answer your questions that you have is really, that's really important to have. I think it's the community mostly. Everyone there, last time I was there, they were just so supportive. It was amazing. And I was the curious young birder and I was asking everyone about these things that I didn't know about. And they were all like, hey, okay, I'll show you. And it was amazing because I learned so much. Diego Blanco. I mean, there's no really, not really any substitute for just time spent out watching birds and observing and note-taking. So anytime you have somebody who has, like you do with people at Audubon societies or, or I mean, any, anybody who's been out in the field so often, you get that sort of wealth of information that they can then pass on to you. I mean, you can like tap from that reservoir of just years and years of being out in the field and and noticing things about birds that it would have taken you years on your own to notice had you not had it pointed out. Many young birders found their way to their local clubs and they credit those organizations with providing opportunities for them to become better naturalists and birders. Here's Diego again, who attended the ABA's Camp Colorado, followed by Johanna. Pasadena Audubon Society has been invaluable uh, to me. When I when I really got started actually going out birding a lot, that's when I joined the Pasadena Audubon Society. And I mean, just, I have learned so much from the people there. It's, just, it's, it's been incredible. And they've been my biggest source of support in birding um, in the time that I've been doing it, especially um, Susan Gilliland, who runs the uh, Young Birders Club. I mean, talk about a mentor. Uh, that's, she has been especially helpful in terms of getting us out birding, teaching us about about the birds and giving us all this information for us to, to do the things that we wanted to do. So I, I really appreciate passing out on society. The next fall after I started birding, so almost a year later, um, I found the Boulder Audubon uh, Society, well, the Boulder County Audubon Society, and they have a teen naturalist program. The teen naturalist group is a really good group to meet people. Um, they do like a bunch of different activities, but I never really felt like there were a lot of young birders like in Colorado. Like I only knew of maybe five of us. But that's the rub. Young birders are something of a rare species, I guess, and providing opportunities for them to engage socially with each other is one that has far-reaching positive effects. For as long as the ABA has offered birding camps, and even before ours at places like Audubon's Hog Island and Victor Emanuel's Camp Chiricahua, they have been milestone events in the lives of young birders. I had hung out with a lot of birders who were a good four years younger than I was. 
you know, I was 15, 16, and a lot of the young birders that I, you know, had experiences with were the oldest one was like 13. And so it was, it was really cool to get to be able to spend like all that time with people who were my age and just as interested in birds as I was. I went to Hog Island 2014 and then, wait, no, 2015. And then 2016, I went to Camp Chiricahua. Mind blowing, inspiring, uh, every emotion that I have like ever been able to feel I had like felt at camps so it's really fun getting to talk about you know the developments in your in your birding experiences with people who know what they mean like if I were to go to some of the people like some of my regular friends who aren't uh interested in birding and tell them oh I saw a white-winged dove (laughs) and and so and so they wouldn't get it like you wouldn't get to share that stuff Camp Chiricahua was my first experience like really learning about like how to be an ornithologist or how to be an illustrator or how to move forward in science and help people everything that I've ever wanted to try to learn or do or think about. Like I, I was able to do it here Cabo with the instructors and everyone there and all the participants and stuff. I think one of the, one of the things that I really, I really enjoyed was not having to explain myself every time I pointed something out about a bird. I mean, like there were the people there already knew what I was talking about and I didn't have to say like, Oh, when I pointed out, you know, whatever that bird was, I didn't have to say, oh, this is what it is. Anytime you get that chance to be with people who are your age and are that interested in it, it's great because usually that's not that's not the case. I mean, most of the time on the other trips I've been on or just with the Audubon Society in general, the people are either really young or like a lot older. So whenever you have that experience with, you know, people your same age, it's always it's always good. I mean, I always, like, it was, you know, me and, like, a couple other people in Boulder who were, like, the serious birders. And then to suddenly be around 13 other people who are as serious and as dedicated and as inspiring and, like, who have all these same, like, passions and also these different passions that I didn't really know about, to be there and, like, live in that was totally an incredible experience. Every time I look back on it, it's just amazing. Once you have an experience like that, I mean, those are friends for... For a very long time. And that's the point of these programs, to offer young birders amazing experiences, be they through detailed instruction and mentorship with some of North America's finest birders, artists, and conservationists, or in a no-holds-barred tour, for lack of a better word, in an amazingly birdie location with a bunch of their peers. It's something to savor, it's something to build on, and make no mistake, these kids want to build on these experiences. Here's Bailey again. I think photography is one to pursue. Because I, uh, having just started out, that's something that's, you can just add a whole other element to birding because maybe birds have already seen what you're still interested in. You can capture behavior and their beauty through photography. And not just for building skills, but for building a life in birds. Here's Johanna and Diego. Well, right now I'm a biology and studio art major, so I'm trying to combine art and science together. I don't really know what I want to do with it yet. I've been talking to one of my friends and we've been going back and forth on like what it means to put art and science together and like really connect them for the general public to show people like really what birding is or really like what science can be when you put it together with fine arts. Art can be a really good thing to get the public to notice something. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of working on that. I don't really know yet. <laughs> I want to study evolutionary and ecological biology um, with a focus on ornithology and paleoornithology. Really, 
birds are my are my main interest and that's what i want to do you know for throughout my career i i couldn't imagine doing anything else it's really amazing the sort of opportunities that are available for young birders these days i think organizations both the aba and, and a great many other national and local groups have come so far in how they offer these sorts of experiences for young birders and naturalists the aba is certainly not alone in doing so and all of them deserve your patronage and support but i'd like to think that our track record is unparalleled and that is largely thanks to the support of the birding community and, and these kids know it here's cayenne don't be afraid to ask for help from mentors and adults and other people who are involved in your local organizations too. They really can give you some very, very valuable insight. Like I learned and got so much help from a lot of people in my community that really helped me grow and win the contest. There's no denying that birding as a hobby skews a, a little bit older. Sometimes when you're a young birder, it can feel like you're the only one out there. But these programs have reached dozens, even hundreds of young birders and provided them with opportunities to connect with leaders in the birding community and their own peers in ways that matter. We're certainly very proud of them. And ABA members and supporters deserve to be too. Hi, I'm American Birding Association President Jeffrey Gordon, and I'm asking that you support the ABA's Young Birder programs today by going to aba.org gift and donating to our nesting season appeal. At the ABA, we are very proud of our track record of mentoring and supporting the birding, ornithology, and bird conservation leaders of the future through our Young Birder camps, our Young Birder of the Year contest, and our numerous online resources. We need your help to keep those programs the best they can be. The nesting season is a brief but critical time in birds' lives. Getting the nestlings off to a good start means everything to the future. Our nesting season appeal is the same. Please go to aba.org gift right now and make an investment in the future of birds and of birding. And if you'd prefer to donate by phone, just call us at 800-850-2473. Thank you. And thanks for listening to the American Birding Podcast. So I had a decent spring this year. Uh, the weather made it a little hard to figure out, but I managed to see a good diversity of spring migrants both here in my, my home in North Carolina and also up in Ohio at the biggest week. Um, so I thought I'd share some of those experiences now. Uh, we have a couple chefs that work at competing but very similar restaurants here, and, and both are really avid birders. Uh, but their names are really similar, so no one can quite figure out which one is which. Um, and I heard from a friend that, that one had found a cerulean warbler at one at a local park, and he couldn't recall the name of the birder, but that he, he thought it was a cook that had seen it. So I said, a cuckoo. Cuckoo. Uh, later, I ran into a, a decorated veteran of, of foreign wars and out on a local trail, and he we got to birding along the same path and started chatting like you do. And I asked if he had any... Have you recalled any old stories from his time in the service? And he said, no, it was all just a war blur. <laughs> I went to the, the Blue Ridge Parkway once this spring, uh, looking for warblers, spring migrants, climbed up one of the trails that goes to a bald on top of one of the mountains. And, and when I got there, there was just you know, trash strewn everywhere. I, I, I don't recall the last time I saw such a gross peak. One of the coolest places I went was the biggest week in American birding up in Ohio. I stopped by the, the optics tent to see some friends. And there was a, the lady there, she was checking out these really nice new binoculars. And, um, but she really loved her current pair. She had, a, she had a real hard time deciding between the new ones or the old ones. 
Uh, there was a ton of wind at the biggest week this year. You, you probably heard about that. I led a field trip on one of those days, and one of the participants was wearing this really obvious toupee, but it, you know, it wasn't a bad one. It's actually, it's actually pretty impressive, not least of which because of the, the color, which was this really deep, rich navy. Um, but the wind was really rough, and uh, he had a lot of trouble keeping his great blue hair on. <laughs> I know these stories have a lot of uh, setup, but you know you can't really thresh them. Huh? The, uh, the craziest experience I had was at McGee Marsh, and uh, I came across this short guy. This, this little guy was, you know, acting really suspicious, and I, I managed to kind of corner him and, and chat with him for a little while, and he said he had this plan to chop down a bunch of trees at the marsh, but he couldn't use a uh, chainsaw because it was too loud. There's too many people around. So he had to use this hatchet that he had hidden somewhere along the path. Well, you know, I was pretty taken aback. And I let some people in charge know, and we kind of chased him off the boardwalk. It was a, it was a really big to-do. And he got in his car and drove away. And despite spending a, a lot of time looking most of that morning, we never found out where the, where the imp hit an axe. Look, I may have lost a bunch of you over that, but rest assured, I have no egrets. And if you don't donate to the Nesting Season Appeal, there's more where that came from. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We're a membership organization and we depend on you to continue to provide many free resources to the birding community. Members also receive the excellent bi-monthly birding magazine discounts to our partners, including Beautyo Books, and the satisfaction of knowing that you are helping to build a better birding community. Join before June 30th, 2017 and be entered to win a pair of Leica Trinovid HD binoculars. They are super. You can join at aba.org join and tell us the podcast sent you. We owe a special shout out to Rebecca Jarvis of Racine, Wisconsin. Thanks for stepping up your birding by joining us. We appreciate your support. President of the ABA and executive producer of the ABA podcast is Jeffrey Gordon. Technical production is by John Lowry with help from Greg Neese and David Hartley. John's band The Hangabouts does the music. We are online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA, not to be confused with the Advanced Bank of Asia, which is based in Cambodia. Please do not get us confused, otherwise it Cambodia ill for us. You'll need to use your Phnom Penh or we have to come here and fix it. What a mess. What a mess. If you made it this far, why not head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. It only takes a couple minutes and lets us know what you like or don't like and helps people find us. Thank you. Questions or comments can come to me at podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time. 